Thank you for listening to Room 9, my daddy's podcast. Hope you enjoy. You can listen to Room 9 on your favorite podcast listening platform. Don't forget to visit our Instagram and Facebook page. Please like it. Room 9, if you better yourself, you better the world. Right, and that that doesn't mean you avoid what was done. That doesn't mean you minimize what had happened or the pain that it had caused, but you're allowed to turn a page while also understanding that the page is still in your book. Mm -hmm. People can go and read it. They can see what you've done. That doesn't mean that in the meantime, you're trying to write another one. I mean, you have that right. And I think that's where that advocacy piece stayed with me is, no, goddammit, this is this person's life. Let them decide what they want to do. And today's guest is Samuel Vaughn. Samuel does a lot of things, one of them being a therapist at ComC's Psychotherapy. He works a lot with domestic violence. The coolest thing about my conversation with him is he's been on both sides of working with people in domestic violence, perpetrators and the victims. And he's had to advocate for both. And it's just such an awesome point of view. And what a humbling conversation I had with him because it was really just amazing to think about how we just need to help everybody. Everybody needs some kind of help. We all do. We all need to show acceptance and understanding and maybe sometimes it's just understanding that we don't understand and we have to start providing people with new opportunities to be able to change and move on from their past and the system is not set up for that so that's our conversation today and like always which i love because you know me i go all over the place creativity business strategy branding design personal development introspection the list goes on and on but it's all related there's all overlap everything can be connected to one another there's three or four times in this conversation with samuel that i was like are we talking about therapy and personal development or are we talking about business because there's so many issues with the individual that we need to work on things that we need to progress in as an individual and same things for businesses right and i say it all the time you guys are probably sick of me saying it anyway i'm done talking enjoy this episode as always as always as always i feel like i say that every intro as always thank you so much guys you are the best i am so grateful for your time there's a hundred million podcasts out there and you're listening to mine thank you thank you thank you love you guys have a great week i will talk to you soon peace Samuel, let's do this, man. Sure. Um, yeah. So how did I even come across, reach out to you? LinkedIn. LinkedIn. That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm assuming it had to be... Through Sarah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Either connection. I think so. Well, at least that's probably why I saw his post. Yeah. I think after you posted something and I was like all about it, um, you probably saw that. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I remember reaching out, which is funny because... Not really funny. I don't know why. There's nothing funny about what I'm going to say, but I have... I had, when I originally, with my uh, addiction, when I originally got arrested, Mm. it was labeled a domestic violence. I had to go to 52 weeks of DV class. You briefly told me this. Did I tell you that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you briefly told me this. And that is, uh, that is something my ego has never been able to like settle with. All the shitty things I've done. I was like, how did this even get into a domestic violence like court? It was so ridiculous. I mean, that's actually a really interesting thing to even talk about because I often say this with the you know the groups that I run there's this huge language disconnect right so you come to a domestic incident usually after many many months of being with that person and so for all the clinical reasons that it takes a long time for anyone to leave a relationship that relationship blossoms and then the police come and they label it something and then you go to court and they change that label to something else then you go to jail and you're a completely different label Now you're coming to treatment with all of that stigma stuck to you. Mm. And you're supposed to learn how to not do it again. (laughs) I mean, like, that just doesn't... (laughs) It's sort of like if you had to wear your diagnosis constantly on your shirt. Like, who would want to do that? And so that's a big issue. Oh, it's yeah, there's... I mean, I, I had my ideas how screwed up the whole 
justice system was before I had to go through it, but going through it, being in jail, seeing how it like, I just, I just remember walking by the guys in the holding center downtown. Only so, so many places actually have bars. But I remember walking, walking by there and looking at these dudes in the square and just saying, these motherfuckers, they're just going to open the gate when their time's up, send them on their way and won't do anything to help them change. Right. That's yeah. supposed to be rehabilitation. Yep. Yeah. And that's crazy. <laughs> and then I think really what happens when you work in like, you know, mandated services, your job as the therapist is to then fix all of them after the system has basically held them in like a pressure cooker. And mm -hmm. so honestly, I always think the first year is like learning how to be a human where other humans care about you. Because when you're incarcerated, that's just not how it happens. Um, no, no, it's not. Yeah, yeah, it just doesn't. And and it's a huge problem. It's a huge problem. I think abuse in institutions is a big problem, but prisons in particular is an incredibly large issue that not enough people talk about. No, and how many issues do we have in this country because nobody talks about them? Right. I mean, there's there's a lot. I mean, there's so much, I mean, to go with. But I guess first, give me a rundown how you kind of got involved with um, with where you're at, what you're actually doing, and a little bit about your practice and what you got going on in your life. Yeah, so as I was sort of joking about as we started talking, you know, I was doing... Uh, air conditioning, you know, as, as a college student trying to figure out what I wanted to do. But I realized I wanted to help people. Both of my parents were special ed teachers. And I sort of knew that there was a space where I could talk mm -hmm. and help because uh, I talk a lot. And so <laughs> it's helpful. It's helpful to be in a profession where I have to listen, but I also get to talk. And so I think that was part of it. But the the real reason I think I came into abuse was my first job. Um, I came to Buffalo to start the school of social work at a really interesting time in my life. Uh, my mother had just died. Two months later, I come to Buffalo being like, what the fuck am I going to do? I'm in grad school. And so I started working at a state hotline that's run by crisis services. And it's the mm -hmm. Spanish and English domestic violence hotline, as well as the Erie County domestic violence hotline. And I worked Friday, Saturday, Sunday from midnight to 8 a.m. And that was probably the most formative 11 months that I've ever had because your job is to simply bear witness and advocate. And that really got me to change my perspective and think, okay, this is about simply listening first. And so from there, it sort of blossomed to being able to be a therapist who my job is to really help you walk through your path. And advocacy and starting in victim advocacy really helped ground me in this is not about anything else but you. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really what more and more of us could look at people and say, you know what, this isn't a mental health crisis. This is somebody who needs help. And I think that that first 11 months was huge. And from there, it's just sort of blossomed into, you know, one thing after the next. And, and now I'm here. What did, uh, what did you get your degree in? Social work. Social work. Okay. Yeah. Again, yeah, the system, I think, just putting labels on things in general I mean, there's always that argument, I guess. I always think about how medicalizing something just stigmatizes it more. Correct. And yeah. And I just feel like that's kind of like until we totally can get rid of the labels and get rid of, I mean, change our whole system, not crime and punishment. What the hell are we still doing this for? Like, yeah, it's proven fucking things that show over and over again. Punishing somebody doesn't ever get them to change their behavior. It's just dumbfounding. It. it yeah, and it, it really doesn't make sense to me because, you know, I think we, we want to be helpful as humans. I think most humans want to be helpful. We might not want to be the most helpful person in the world, but we want to be somewhat helpful. Our system today is not helpful at all whatsoever. No, no. And that's where we should start before we even go anywhere else. But to say, is this even helping people? And it's not. And so what people will say is, well, it'll cost a lot of money. Well, I guess then that's what we have to do, because if it's not helping people, then just sitting in the same pool, I mean, is insanity, right? I mean, that's the whole Einstein quote, which is doing the same thing over and over and over again. Not helping. No, not at all. What? Ha how have you, do you work with just uh, people who have, are involved in domestic violence? Yeah. So, I mean, I've worked on both sides of the coin at this point, where I've worked with folks who have survived any type of abuse. In particular, for a while, I was actually working in Buffalo Police Department as an elder abuse case manager. Okay. All right. Um, Is that how you met Sarah? 
I yeah, well yeah, kind of because at that point Sarah had a really cool role of a crisis intervention um, therapist, and so actually we had a lot of cases where the two of us worked really comprehensively. Okay. To do what we're actually talking about now, which is to have the system actually help, um, <laughs> and that's how you know we sort of came together through this as we sort of pushed against the walls to say like, well, can something else happen? And so that elder abuse was an incredibly important role for me to just be a part of because elder abuse is a huge issue. Um, I remember putting something on LinkedIn recently about loneliness for for the aging folks mm. and just how deadly not talking to folks who are older is. That in and of itself is a problem, let alone all of the abuse that goes on. I mean, it, it was crazy to see what would happen to aging folks and no one would care. Yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy how much crazy shit like that goes on in general as human beings. I always had this argument, well, not argument, but this wanting to always search for like that. All right. All humans are naturally good. And then I started reading Carl Jung <laughs> <laughs> and that kind of went down the shitter. Yeah. He real doesn't quick. think that. Yeah. No, no. And I don't, well, this has been a, I've always loved that debate because I, you know, I, it started, I started looking at the world differently. Mm -hmm. Like, Every time I go outside and the whole place isn't on fire, mm -hmm. like we're doing pretty damn good. Right. And I kind of have to remind myself of that because, you know, obviously I'm a very empathetic person. So even being around people, which is usually probably why I like to be alone, mm -hmm. like just feeling energy and just, sure. I mean, there's so many fucking hurting people out there. There are. And, and that's what drew me, I think, even more to abuse. I mean, the numbers are crazy, mm. right? I mean, it's one in five women one in nine men. I mean, that that's insane. And I, I think I had said this when I first talked to you, you know, if that's what today COVID-19 was doing. There would be by far more of movement mm -hmm. in this world. And yet that's been going on for hundreds of years. And it wasn't until like the 70s that somebody said, hey, maybe we should think about handling this at a federal <laughs> level. And, <laughs> and, and VAWA became a thing. Right. And year after year, it's a debate of whether or not we should keep it. And it's like, are you seriously? This is this is the state still, of things. Yeah. Still a thing in 2021. Insane. Absolutely yep. insane to me. It and is. that's what that's what motivated me to stay into it, because it's it's like this is in many cases what we have to do. We have to look at this as a pandemic, an epidemic, whatever the word mm -hmm. is, and garner our resources and our people and our community to solve this problem. And, and, and that's, I think for me, that's, that's one of the most important things is it's about us as a community. This is not an individual issue. This mm. is not a group issue. This is not a religious issue. This is an everyday problem that everyone at some point in time has probably been a part of or has witnessed. And together, if we looked at it as our problem, now we can be helpful. And I just wish, and maybe it's delusionally at this point, that my work will somehow help that. That's that that would be great. Well, I think it's all about right. Um, it's all about just knocking off what you can. I I think the biggest piece, at least for me personally speaking, was coming coming to the realization that it's like it's not about. I always use reading a book as an analogy. It's not about finishing the book. It's about you know reading it, right. or else the, the greatest readers would just be the quickest ones. Correct. <laughs> right. Yeah. I yeah. mean, <laughs> that's actually really interesting. Yeah. I mean, like you can go on a road trip and focus on the uh, GPS, like, ooh, I'll be mm -hmm. there at three, or you can watch everything else that happens because uh, you'll be get there at three, regardless. Yep. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> you know, like it doesn't matter if you're watching or not. But yeah, I mean, that's that's why I got into this field, and from there, you know, it sort of grew to managing. Um, and supervising, rather, the advocate's apartment that that position was okay. in. And that was by far one of the coolest fucking jobs I've ever had. For one, crisis services really gave me the opportunity to do what I felt like I wanted to do. And we created some really, really cool things. You know, one of the things I'm most proud of is there is a PREA hotline now for New York State. And it's this idea that if you are raped in prison, that is still rape. Mm. Crazy concept, I know, but many people, <laughs> many people think that's that's the punishment. You're there for that, and so we created at the time one of five hotlines in the nation that allowed for an inmate to dial triple seven and go mm. immediately to a rape crisis advocate and say, "How can we help?" And that was profoundly important because it speaks to what we started out this conversation as. If I am going to say 
I'm going to help everyone. That means the people that have hurt me, us, because that's what we're supposed to do. And I think that was such a cool project to be a part of because it took the perspective of victim and survivor and perpetrator and blended it all together in many times. And you sort of resorted back to how can I advocate for this person? Hmm. Not judge them, not label them, not decide what I think they need. But how can I advocate for them? Because as we're saying, there's all these problems. And I think partially what our role is as social workers is, is to talk about it. It's not just to sit in a room and help somebody figure it out. It, it, there's, a, there's another layer to what I think our profession is, which is mm. macro. And it's getting out there and saying, this is fucked up shit. And I'm going to say that as a therapist. It's fucked up shit and we need to, to stop it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that project really crystallized like, holy shit, this is where I have to go. Yeah, that's that's awesome. First of all, that's that's pretty badass. How long has that been going on for? I think now it's been like three or four years. Okay, and it's you know the program that has a great director, Kate Pawalski, and who was a visionary in creating that. And you know, I I think that 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 program and that hotline will continue to help countless people um, every day. Yeah, well, there's so many screwed up things, obviously, that go on in jail, prison. Yeah. I mean, it's I only did I only did like three months in the holding center of Buffalo, so I've never had to do really much of anything. Mine was a walk through the park, but I mean, I have a I have a pretty close friend. He did mm-hmm. quite a few years, but he was put in solitaire. Like he, he I mean, he lo- you can still hear when he talks about it, the effects it did to him. Eleven, yeah, I, mean, I think it was eleven months and twelve out of twelve. That's torture. Yeah, oh, uh, it totally yeah. was. And yeah, twice he tried to kill himself. Right. And they knew about it and still put him back in there. So it's like. I think why he was in there, they came out with that law that if it wasn't a violent um, offense, oh, really? you could okay. only have like, hmm. I think 30 days max. Right. But yeah, he was in the middle of that, but it's just crazy what, what's, what's going on. Well, yeah. I mean, you would think that somebody who needs help, let's put him in a room with no one. Okay. So <laughs> like, what would be the point of that? You know, it's like, basically you're having a heart attack, go in the lobby and we'll come see you when you're dead. Yeah. And that's where we are at the state of healthcare in prisons, let alone in the world. But, you know, it's it's beyond ridiculous. And I think, you know, that sort of pivoted me to then work on the other side, which was in forensics, and to work with people who in many cases were the ones on the other side of the courtroom. Mm. Um, you know, that when I was an advocate, you know, my job was to advocate for the survivor. Now my job is to advocate for a perpetrator to at least get a fair shot and to at least be able to enter into the society and say, I've served my time. And now I'm ready to at least move forward somehow and whatever that means. And I think, you know, a lot of folks come out and think that is never going to happen. And that's tragic to me because if this is the punishment, now it's over. And we can't continue to make that that person's legacy. Miserable. Oh, it just follows you around everywhere. Right. And that, that doesn't mean you avoid what was done. That doesn't mean you minimize what had happened or the pain that it had caused, but you're allowed to turn a page while also understanding that the page is still in your book. Mm-hmm. People can go and read it. They can see what you've done. That doesn't mean that in the meantime, you're trying to write another one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you have that right. And I think that's where that advocacy piece stayed with me is, no, God damn it, this is this person's life. Let them decide what they want to do. And... That really reverberated for me, and it was difficult. I mean, don't get me wrong, like going into forensics after, you know, spending time and time again in an emergency room for a rape that got nowhere and never got prosecuted in court, right, <laughs> which is a whole nother tangent of just how mm-hmm. terrible that system is in terms of, you know, like you would look at the number of cases. I can't remember what it was one time. It was sort of a tangent from where I was going, but it was like 1,300 people went to the hospital for sexual assault. And I think at the time the statistic was two Two actually got vindicated and saw their perpetrators charged and convicted. And what's insane about that is that's just 1,300 people who said, I'm going to finally say something. And to me, <laughs> that's just like, it's insane. And, and, it's, and it's, it's terrifying because, you know, the, these are real world problems. And, and so to then go from that mindset of, there's no justice for survivors, mm-hmm. and there isn't, to then advocating for people who have now been caught was difficult. 
I mean, I, 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 I bet that's a yeah. big mind shift. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember going home and being like, I don't think I can tell this person that it's okay. And then being like, well, I guess why is it about me and what I think? It's not me. You know, I'm not that person. And so it, it became less about, you know, what you've done and more about what you want to do. I, I guess the best way to describe it is I, I sort of had this vision one day. We have these meetings that were called disclosures. And so you'd go into a disclosure to move through the phases of treatment. And they were like these meetings with your PO and, you know, the, the, the therapist and the supervisor. And it was basically like a come to Jesus moment of you're going to move on or <laughs> you really have a lot more work to do. And old school of thought in, in offender treatment was yell at them and tell them that they're terrible. Again, didn't make a lot of sense. But, I, you know, it at times you get angry. And so I get that. But what I had learned and, and sort of what the story came from that is and, and I said it from that point on to everybody that I ever saw in those meetings, because I think it just made sense. And the story goes like this, right? So imagine that you're in a room and the room has no windows and it has one door and the door is closed. And in the middle of this room is a person and they're sitting down and written all over the walls and all over the ceiling is everything that they've done wrong. Every bad thought they've had, every horrible interaction they've given or taken or done, every terrible thing. And this person wakes up and goes, shit, I don't want to read this. I don't want to see this. And so they begin to punch holes in the walls to get rid of the words they didn't want to see. And at some point they break their hand because they can't do it anymore. And so they get up the next day and they decide, well, I've broken my hands. I might as well use my head because there are still so many things on this wall that I can't bear to read. And so they bang their head against the wall and they bang their head against the wall to get rid of all the terrible things they don't want to read. And eventually they die and they go up to wherever, whomever and say, why? Why put me in this room? This room that tells me everything that I've done wrong. And this person says to him, because I've given you a door, but you have to open it. Hmm. And that is what sort of changed my mindset is if I'm going to work with somebody who committed something that's horrible, I at least have to allow them to acknowledge that and then walk through the next door. And once I was able to think about that, it was easier for me to then be more productive as a therapist in that space. And that was, you know, that took a long time. Yeah, I bet. I mean, how many people out there who are therapists counselors, whatever, that have so much of their own baggage, so much of their own. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's one of the difficult, most difficult things about therapy, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not about you yeah. um, ever. And so it's really important for people to, to expect and to understand that that's the right as a patient, as a client, that when you're going to therapy, it's about you always. And your therapist should be able to be there for you always. And that's, you know, that's sort of how I approach my practice is, you know, my job is simply to to do what is needed to help you figure out what you want. And if it's yelling, if it's being silent, if it's coloring, if it's drawing, if it's listening to Radiohead, I, I, you know, there's so many different things I've done in the short career that I've had, you know, where it didn't matter what I needed or wanted mm. or who I was. It was about what they needed and how they needed to find that help. And I think that's why I do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I really, if I boil it down to, I think that's just one of the coolest things about my job is I get to sit in a room and listen to people better themselves. And that's really fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is, that's awesome, man. It is, it's interesting. I am infatuated with, um, I was going to say Buddhism, but mainly uh, Zen and Taoism, mm. which I guess is kind of a branch of Buddhism. But I love the whole kind of just going with it and, yeah. and just letting things go and just allowing everything to be what it is right now, right? And I think that's such a tool to pass on to somebody. Yeah. And that's what you have to do. Because, I mean, we've all, going back to kind of how we were talking about the whole darkness and young and everything, just, I mean, we all have that. We do crazy darkness inside of us and to just repress it and project it and then take it out on other people and not realize, wow, I'm just as much capable to do this shitty thing mm -hmm. as uh, this person who has already done it and to be able to empathize with them yeah. and help them see that door is awesome. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. And it, it's simple. 
you know, we're, we're human beings. We're not human doings. And we spend a shitload of time doing. And and I say this constantly to my clients. Uh, you know, we, <laughs> what am I going to do today? You know, what, sh- what should I do today? What do we think we want to do today? Or who do I want to be today? What do I want to be today? Where do I want to be today? How do I want to be today? That's far more important. Hmm. Because doing is not something that you can be. And so for me, that's that's a really important distinction is to just fucking be for a, th- a second. If that's mm. all you can do, then be for a second. You know, I, I got this idea from, I went to a Zen Buddhism center in Syracuse. Uh, my godmother had given me this like birthday present to go and, and practice it. And I remember I went in there and it was like, you know, this is like this random house where all these, you know, people. And so we, we go to the Zendo. I think that's what it was called. And we sit down and and I remember sitting down and like getting ready to zone out. And you know, like 30 seconds later, she's like, okay, that's it for today. And I'm like, okay, wow, this is a scam. Um, and I just got ripped off. But in reality, you know, 10 months later, we finished for only, I think we sat for 15 minutes and at the end. And the point was, is it's really difficult to be for 30 seconds, let alone mm-hmm. 15 minutes. And so <laughs> it was a crazy concept and it helped me tell that to people because hmm. you can come to session and we can talk about being and next we can come back and say I didn't do it and I'd be like cool yeah me neither right because <laughs> like that's not how it works you can spend a lot of time doing being um, and I've spent a lot of time oh, doing oh yes right. haven't we all <laughs> right that's like a trap that we can fall into is I'm I'm doing being okay but you know I think you're right it, it's really important to just sit in what you have and I wish more people would do that because it, it's really important. You know, your feelings matter and they can be expressed and they don't necessarily have to involve you once they've been expressed. You know, I can say how I feel and then that's mm. it. And there's so much, well, what will people say or think or do? Now that's how they feel. Now that's how they express themselves. That's not me. And it's a freeing reality check of, I'm my own person. I decide my universe. I decide the season in my mind. And being helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so funny. I I, mean, I think I was probably, what, 26? When um, first time I did mushrooms, I was 26. Yeah, so I was 26. And I remember just being like, oh, my God, I'm a shitty listener. Oh, my God, I have so much work to do. There's this whole landscape of consciousness I have not even touched. So I stopped watching TV, okay. stopped watching sports. I think I literally went two years after that without even watching television. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to fix myself. This is what I'm going to do. Right. Okay. So dove in psychology, philosophy, all mm-hmm. that, you know, Buddhism, Eastern philosophy, all that shit. And 10 years later, well, it wasn't quite 10 years later, but how old am I now? 35. So my addiction was three years ago. So finally I hurt my back, I had a divorce, blah, 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 hurt my back. But I just remember I, that's it. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I get this. I mean, I read every Alan Watts book, <laughs> attempted to read every young, right. you know, tried yeah. to, I spent three months on one page out of Nietzsche's Good and Evil. <laughs> um, you know, it's just trying to do it. Like, right. I'm going to do this. And, but I was like, how do I apply this? I know all this knowledge. That's great. But how do I apply it? And there's no, there's nothing further. There's nothing out there other than you got to find it inside yourself. Right. And it's just so interesting how we do. We are, we are always, um, just in taking things and never actually doing things. Yeah, I mean, like, it's a radical thought to just be. <laughs> um, and and it's really not that profound. Like, it-, it no, w- it's been it, around for thousands of years, right? Right, I mean, like, it was pretty, pretty easy, you know, to think about, but it's really difficult to do. And so I think, you know, that's that's also really important when I think about domestic violence and I think about abuse, being is super important. You know, oftentimes the lesson or rather the session was, you know, how can I be in this moment with you to understand how you feel, to then help understand what you need to do to feel something different. Maybe not better, maybe not worse, maybe the same, but just something different. And being with someone in that moment and that's it was hard because you want to do things. Oh, you want to fix people. Right. And I cannot fix people. So anybody who's listening to this podcast, if you come to me (laughs) because you want to be fixed, I'm not going to fix you. I can't because that's not how therapy works. It's not about fixing. 
you know, we had a great professor. Uh, we were talking about Jolie, and I remember we, Sarah and I had sat in this class, and she said something that was golden, and it was, my job is to clean out the wound, and that's it. Hmm. And that's so important yeah. because she's right. I don't fix anything. At least try to prevent infection. Right. <laughs> or just say, wow, that's a really big scar. And sometimes that's what people need is to hear, holy shit, that hurt. Yeah, I bet. Mm. And that's being, you know, I'm angry. Yep. <laughs> yep. Right. I mean, there's, I, I, I would always start out the new sort of cohort of my domestic violence group with what the fuck does domestic violence mean? And I would just write all of these things all over the board. And some of them were domestic violence. Some of them were just made up concepts. And the whole point was is to say this is not something that you're going to walk away on an index card understanding. Domestic violence is an intimate problem, and it has to be an intimate conversation. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be able to get past that I don't want to talk to you because I get it. Now what? You're angry. I'm with you. I hate the system. Good. Now what do you want to do? And if you want to be mad, be mad. Be mad, be resentful, be angry, be upset. You're allowed to do that. And my job is not to tell you you shouldn't because now I am taking control. And that's not what DV is about. I'm not going to bring someone to a class and take power and control away from them. Mm -hmm. That's literally, and now I'm just recreating the problem. And so that's the really difficult thing is, you know, I'm not here to control at all. And I don't have any power. You know, I'm, I'm a 27-year-old gay man who bought this from Marshall's came here and is like way over his head and I'm just trying to help, right? <laughs> I am by no means going to tell you what you need to do to be a better person. You have to want to be. And that I think is a profound thing to let people grab a hold of. You have the power to change. You know, I'm sure that you can speak to that. Like it's within us to decide when it's time. And it's most definitely not the therapist's job to be like, okay, it's time. Because that's not why I'm here. I am simply here, like I've said 8,000 times, to just be here. That's it. Yeah, well, I mean, which every per every person needs. It's a, Well, I guess, where do you think things should start as far as shifting the system? How do, we sh how do we get anything to change? Because it feels like you're in a room bashing your head against a wall all the time. Right. Because oh, yeah. nobody's listening. Nobody educates himself. We all come up with these. We watch one YouTube video and think we know everything. Right. And it's just, it's very obvious if you just study what other countries have done in their judicial system with their healthcare systems. I mean, people are finding ways to do it a lot better. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the first things we can do is connect people to what actually is happening. You know, I think, like I had started out, you know, uh, domestic violence is, is said and looks like 4,000 4, different things before you get to therapy, yeah. right? That disconnect, that language disconnect is a big problem. And it's a problem because you and I might not know what the process is to go through a relationship that's dysfunctional, abusive, go to jail, and go to therapy. If we're not involved in that, we don't know what that's like. Yet, you're in our community, and I'm your community member. And so I care about your family, and I care about everyone's safety, and I'm paying my taxes to provide services like this. So the first thing that we can do as a community is help people understand what exactly they're paying for. And right now mm. what we're paying for is punitive and archaic, <laughs> and it's making our community less safe. And so I think realistically we have to first tell people what is it that we're actually doing? And that's why I think you know what you're doing with brand awareness is super important. What is this agency doing? Or are we just being an agency? Because you can't be an agency anymore. It's just, we shouldn't do that anymore. No, it, well, it doesn't, there's no connection between you and other people if right. you're just an agency. So I think that's the first step is telling people, you know, this is happening. And, mm. and, and I think I got that from myself of being like, holy shit, this is going on all the time? One in five people, like, that's insane. And so I think when I first realized that, I'm like, what are we doing about it? And I think that can exist for a lot of things. You know, like <laughs> oftentimes people with severe and persistent mental illness, you know, the response is, I don't want to deal with them. Okay. Um, but you have to, right? Because they're a human like you and equal. So you have to deal with them because they have to deal with you not dealing with them. And so we can really 
learn a lot from just listening to people and then putting ourselves in their shoes and going, what would I want? Because if I was really ill, I would want people to care and that's it. I don't need you to give me a sweater. I don't need you to donate money to a GoFundMe page. I need you to care. And that is the first step, I think, is to care, is to genuinely talk to people about what matters. And yes, there will be differences of opinion. Great. Let's talk about it. Let's not yell because that doesn't help. And, you know, I think this is sort of like, not to go super political with this, but like if we just maybe listened every once in a while, you know, maybe we learn something. It's amazing what you learn when you listen. Right. I mean, like, again, not a profound thing. Like, I'm not dropping knowledge bombs here. You learn this in second grade. Yet, as an adult, you know, we're like walking around forgetting everything that we learn. And it's crazy to me. So I think that's the first thing. I think the second thing is, is we have to be honest. I truly think we do. And it's not going to be fun. Mm -mm. No. And no politician is interested, nor is any human, in delivering bad news. Right? I don't want to deliver bad news. No one wants to deliver bad news. The problem is, is we need to deliver the news, which is that the system isn't working. People are dying. People are being punished for being who they are. And that's a problem. Yes. And I think it it can also, you know, really start with language. You know, you're not mentally ill. You have a mental illness. That right there is enough of a change to get people to understand that they're a human first who's dealing with something. And, you know, I often say, if you had diabetes, you wouldn't announce yourself as, I'm a diabetic named Sean. Right? You wouldn't. And so why are we doing that to people who have mental illness? I'm a schizophrenia. No, you're not. Yeah, it's, you know, it's super strange because, I mean, I see so many people in addiction, obviously, who suffer, who struggle with mental mental health, you know, challenges and stuff. And it's just, I feel like the, the whole, you're a disease, it's a disease, whatever thing is just so, I see so many people walk around like they're, they're stuck with it. Right. And there's nothing they can do to make it better, so they don't even try. And so at what point would you then say, hey, uh, I need help? Never. Right. Because <laughs> never. everyone's like, yeah. please don't talk to me. And so, you know, that's that I think is the first step. You know, honesty, telling people what they're paying for. And then, you know, I think I think it's time that we've had, you know, we've had a, a, a predominant voice, white, heterosexual, cis men. And that we've heard now for centuries. <laughs> yep. Centuries. Not saying that every voice should now be muted or that voice should be muted, but rather every voice should have the same volume. And, you know, again, I think that this is important to therapy because you have folks who come and say, my problem isn't that big or I'm just complaining or I'm just frustrated. Okay, but that matters. And, you know, I think that that's really, really important. Yeah, and I think a lot of, so much of it too, I feel like we see, it's like watching our favorite movie if we had to watch it all day, every day for months, right? Our life is what I'm using this analogy mm-hmm. for. And we just think, oh, I'm just complaining. Right. I don't have it, you know, it just, oh, I'm just being a baby. And because we just see it over and over again, and it doesn't seem like maybe something's not a big deal. Right. Because we've seen it over and over again. And that's something I had to even do doing podcast stuff, telling people over, am I really bringing up again my brother and sister dying when I was 15 on the pod like who you know every time you say it you hear that voice judging like are you really dude they don't want to hear about that again you know it's stuff like that and it's just amazing new people all the time who come across your story and I think that's it we got to get comfortable just being all right this is shitty situation right let's just be in it (laughs) right let's just be in it like we don't need to fix it today we can just be in it today and and that's you know (laughs) <laughs> that's hard to do because we want to fix it. We want to respond to it. We want to we want to get out of it. You know, like the example is anxiety sucks, right? Like anxiety does <laughs> not feel good by design. And so therefore no one wants to be anxious. And so telling someone, hey, you should just be anxious today and not do anything <laughs> about it would be like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to try to not be anxious today. But the point is, is that you can exist and be a human and be anxious. Yes. And so try, right? Be depressed and be you because that's you and that's cool and that's mm. fine. And, you know, I think that's that's the, that's the final step is just, you know, there's there's a lot of us here. 
why would we all want to be the same? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to live in a place, be in a community of Sam's. I annoy myself already. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, I couldn't imagine right. another one of me running around. Right. I mean, if there's like a lecturing gay man <laughs> all the time in the city of Buffalo, I, being one, <laughs> I would be annoyed. And so I don't want that. And nor should we, right? <laughs> More importantly, nor should we. And that's honestly, I think that's the last step is, is let people be themselves because what, what does it affect you? You know, like mm-hmm. how? Well, it's, you know, it's so interesting because I mean, we kind of touched base on it a little bit. Right. And, you know, even Sarah, the vulnerability. Right. And Sucks. we know we need to do, in order to truly connect with somebody, we know we have to be vulnerable. Right. We have to, or else you're not really authentically, truly connecting with a human being. And we still don't want to do it. <laughs> right. I think, you know, it's it's tough to be vulnerable because it doesn't feel good, like anxiety, mm-hmm. right? You know, like, I remember the first couple of years of my mom dying, people are like, you know, where's, you know, well, well, well tell me about your mom. I'm like, she's dead, you know, and then it's just <laughs> like, don't talk to me anymore. Um, but now it's like, yeah, she died. And what do you want to know? And I think there's that, there's that vulnerability mm-hmm. of, oh, shit, I just made the conversation super depressing. <laughs> well, guess what, people? My mom's dead. And so that's the reality, <laughs> right? And, and I think that that's important because it's like I could go into a room and say, oh, this person next to me is a man. Or I could say this is a person who I'm in love with, right? You might not like it. Fine. That's you. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to brush up and be like, hey, look at how gay we are. You know, that's that's not that's not the point. The point is, is we can be super gay and you can hate it and we can be in the same room because like we're adults. And, you know, what's uh, why would I want to be someone else? And I'm not asking you to be anyone else. Yeah. And so I think that's the other thing is like, you know, people with any type of problem, whether it be mental illness, whether it be substance use, whether it be abuse are people. And so we have to sort of be able to say, hey, that's you. Cool. How can I help? Just just let people be, man. I don't know why we got to always be in other people's shit. Right. Like, why can't we just do us, right? Work on yourself first. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. And I think, you know, you come to therapy and it's like, you know, I think there's a fine line between being in people's business, right? Like, yeah. I'm not here to interrogate you. It's your life. So what you want to share, what you're comfortable with, you know, what you want to fix is all up to you. And things you want to leave alone, leave alone. You know, and if you have a therapist who's like, hey, let's talk about this stuff you don't want to talk about, don't talk to them because you don't have to. And you get to decide, hey, I got this really shitty thing that I'm going to take seven years to say. Great. Cool. It's just, it's a, that's what it's all about, man. One little step at a time, right? Right. What is, uh, I'm trying to remember the guy's name, but the zone of proximal development guy. I'm trying to remember the, mm, I don't know, from over, in, I think he's from Russia, but. Anyway, you know, just all it is, taking a baby step. Just do one little thing right. more than you did yesterday. Yeah, I mean- and that's all that counts. Right, I'll give you an example. I, I you know, I was working with somebody who had, had a, a whole lot of, of problems dealing with other people. And, you know, they're, they're not the most friendly of person. And um, on top of that, they're mandated to talk to me. Ooh, <laughs> tough. And society is like, terrible person can never get better. And so they're constantly hearing that. And I remember being like, my solution is to listen to jazz for three weeks with them. And everyone was like, first of all, that's not evidence-based. And I was like, (laughs) okay, don't care. Um, Second, this person loved jazz. That's all they had. The 70 years they were incarcerated was, that's it. They loved it. It's the one thing in the world that was consistent in their life. I hope it was good jazz. It was. It was fantastic. And so- one of the things that we did was no, we, I don't want no Kenny G bullshit. No Kenny G. Right. No Kenny G. No, no. <laughs> if, if my if my jazz player was not addicted to heroin, I don't even want to listen to him. <laughs> All right, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> cut you off. Miles Davis. Uh, <laughs> no, but I mean, and people were like, "That's insane." Um, you're gonna do jazz, and I was like, "Well, yeah. I mean, we're gonna do therapy too, but the jazz is where we're starting because that's what's important, right?" And to them. It's easier to talk about a movement or a break in sound and refer to their life that way. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, everywhere, everywhere we talk in symbolic manner. Right. In abstract language. I mean, look at the Bible for Christ's sake. Yeah. You know? man. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. It's Every religion, everything is just such a example of, I mean, when I would say I had my spiritual awakening, as mm-hmm. some people like to call it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like almost, I was like almost ready to kill myself and have a mm-hmm. nervous, it was a nervous breakdown. 
it was terrible. It was distraughtful. I literally felt like my ego, I died mm. and came back and was reborn. I mean, there's just so much symbology and so much uh, symbolism, symbology. What's the right word? I don't know. I think but both are fine. Are they both all right? Yeah. Okay. Let's let them be. I mean, I think. Let's let it be. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess beyond my point. <laughs> my point being, it's just, yeah, we always are always finding ways. I mean, I couldn't talk about, speaking of my brother and sister, and I couldn't talk about that right. for at least, I don't think, even to myself, facing it for almost 10 years, and it was really just music was right. it. That was the only way I could express anything, was right. writing, listening, playing music. Yeah, and I mean, then that's what you got to do, right? And, and I, I did, right. for many years. Right, and it worked. <laughs> you know, it, it, the lesson is like, you know, my first internship was with a, at a child and adolescent clinic, and it's like, well, how am I going to talk about this? Well, you're going to play checkers. I'm like, really? Like, yeah. And... You know, we'd play checkers and, you know, the the kid would say, you know, this happened. OK, you know, keep playing checkers and this would happen. OK. And the whole thing is, is this isn't, you know, therapy isn't this like, OK, sit in and let me download your brain and mm. I'm going to go through and fix all the bugs. It's, hey, I'm going to have a conversation with you that's super intimate and I'm going to be very vulnerable. I don't expect anyone to do that day one. I wouldn't do that day one. And so I think that there's. There's sort of a, a finesse, so to speak, to bearing your soul to a stranger. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that's something that in my practice I really take seriously is, you know, we're not going to do anything unless you want to. You know, if you want to come in here and shoot the shit, great, cool. And if that's what you need, fine. And, you know, who are we to say that this is what, you know, this is the practice that works? Yes, evidence base is real, true. Uh, but it took evidence, <laughs> right? So, like... We have to create some. Um, <laughs> it's somehow we have to do it, and so I think you know that's that's sort of in the nutshell. I think that those are the things you can do to make shit better. You know, prevention is always super important too. You know, uh, if we spent time preventing problems, we would probably spend less money responding to them. Um, I'm gonna hmm. I'm gonna give you sort of like an understanding of, of what sort of awoken in me when I when I looked at this is like. So what's crazy is, for example, how much do we think we spend a year on intimate partner violence? Like if we had to guess. Like the country? What the, no, let's the let's state? go to the globe. Let's let's the globe? Let's say the whole globe. I have no I don't even know what a ballpark number for that would even be. Four point three trillion dollars. Is it that much? A year. It's insane. That is crazy. And yet we don't want to spend the money to prevent it? how that's so funny. I wonder why. Right. <laughs> I wonder who's making money. Right. And so prevention is by far the smarter Go strategy. Go back to those old white men we were talking about earlier. Correct. They're, they're voices that we've heard a lot of. <laughs> Again, everyone's voice matters, but you know the volume has been really loud for them for a long time. And so it's time to turn it down. But the, the larger point is, is that you know we should be focusing on how to prevent pain. We shouldn't mm -hmm. be focusing on how to respond well to it. And I think you know that's sort of where I sit every day in my practice. I want to help prevent this from happening hmm. so that I can stop doing this. You know, like the ideal scenario for me would be that like I get on a plane and I fly away and I never come back and like I just, the world's fixed, right? I mean, that, that would be great. Like if tomorrow they're like, the choice is you can leave and everyone's great or you can stay and you have to do this forever. I'd be like, I'll leave. Let's, mm. let's have everyone be great because I'm not in this to like, let's just continue to make this problem the same. No. And so that's why I do this. Hmm. Beautiful. I have to leave a little nice pause there because, <laughs> no, that's awesome, man. I think, I think, well, you got it. You're a great dude. I mean, just Thanks. sitting Appreciate here and hanging out and, and talking, I yeah. think. I kind of figured when you said you were uh, pretty close friends with Sarah, yeah. it'd be a nice chill conversation. But I mean- yeah, dude, it's it's frustrating sometimes. That's why I, I wonder, that's why I struggle with the whole, is it just a blessing that this whole place hasn't burned down yet? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like, you know, like we were talking in the beginning, stop looking at the GPS, look at look at the world, you know, let mm. it burn down, feel warm by it, and and then say, what do I want to, what do I want to be today? Um, because <laughs> guess what? It's all happening tomorrow, and you can still be there. And so I think that's, you know, for people out there who are saying, what the fuck is going on? The world is ending. There's no hope. There is, because you're still here. And I believe in you. And other people believe in you. And so for me, 
there will always be hope because that's why we're here. Hmm. And so anyone who says it's, it's over, I challenge them to say, how can I make you think that it's not? Because we're all in this together. And as sappy as that sounds, it's true. Because yeah, it is, yeah. none of us are getting off this planet. Like maybe the really, really rich people are, but like most of us aren't getting off this planet. No. And so if it crashes and burns, we're all going down with it. And so we should care. So I do. That that's it. That's that's me. Beautiful. How do people get a hold of you? Get in touch with you? What, um what's your website? All that jazz. Right. So I work for a, a private practice group called ComC Psych. Um, they're actually based out of New York City. And there's two of us in Buffalo, and we'll be opening up a, an office once the world opens back up. But you can you can Hopefully find me soon. at yeah right. You can find me at samuelevon.com, and you can go there. You can read. I have my blogs there. Um, you can schedule an appointment. You can read about me, or you can find me on LinkedIn. I don't know how you would find me on LinkedIn, but there there is a me on LinkedIn. Search your name. Yeah, Search I'll, name. I'll have all the links below too. Cool. When I post this. Yeah, I mean, people can do it that way, or you know, I think. Um, Probably if you Googled my name, Sam Von Buffalo. I'm sure, yeah. DV, usually, it, something would come up. Yeah. LinkedIn always pops up to right. Google. Yeah, no. let, let the let the technology world Let it happen. It. Let it happen. But, <laughs> yeah, I really, and I want to thank you for this because I think what's super important about this, Sean, is that you're telling everyone what it is. Hmm. And as we said, that's what we need to do. You know, your story is not just one story. It's all of ours. Absolutely, yeah. And so I give you a shitload of credit because this is where it starts. And so kudos to you, man. It is. It's huge. I think one of the biggest things I noticed in when I was in rehab was just, everybody's just like, oh, they're just in it for the money. They don't really fucking care, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, for the most part, when I got out and worked with people and working, been working with behavioral health companies, I have really yet to find somebody who's just collecting the paycheck. So why isn't this being communicated? Well, right. well, as we talked about, we're just an agency. And right. agencies don't need to do anything to show who they are, what their purpose is, what right. their passion is. And that's how businesses fail now. Right. They should. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, we think it's time to go brand first now. Right. <laughs> right. Like maybe yeah. we should say that we have humans who care here. Yep. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of kind of a thing, you know, <laughs> nowadays. So, but thanks again, man, for taking the time to chat with me. No problem. Thanks. Sweet.